the intranet that was in place in the business had um, in excess of 8,000 pages of content and had been very poorly maintained in a content management sense for a number of years prior to that. So what you had was basically a kind of spaghetti junction of navigation elements, a completely ungoverned IA, lots of um, sort of guerrilla publishing going on in the internet and it, 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 had, be, it had become ungovernable um, because it was ungoverned. In the past you might have just migrated everything that you had but now it's a question of like looking at what the user actually needs to find and helping them to do that in the most efficient way possible so they get less frustrated with your intranet that they can find things quicker and then get the answers to their questions um, in a much more speedy way you know so so what you need to do is find out who are your users and what they're trying to do on your site and how they currently do it. Hi, I'm Paul Miller and this is Digital Workplace Impact where we investigate and explore the ideas, practices and people that are impacting the new digital worlds where we all work. Digital Workplace Impact is produced by the Digital Workplace Group, a strategic partner and boutique consultancy covering all aspects of the evolving digital workplace industry through membership, benchmarking and boutique consulting services. And if you'd like more information, visit digitalworkplacegroup.com. So I'm delighted to be joined today uh, on the subject of the eight phases of intranet content migration. Uh, based on a DWG report that came out um, not that long ago called, surprisingly, The Eight Phases of Intranet Content Migration. Uh, And my guests today are Nicole Carter. Uh, Nicole's a consultant and researcher for DWG. She leads on projects focusing on intranet governance and strategy. Um, she has also been involved um, in several um, interesting uh, projects uh, around the successful delivery of the new Scottish Fire and Rescue Services intranet. And she also helped the Scottish Government rationalise their 50,000 pages of quite verbose content into something useful. Um, and it really is, sees the digital workplace as supporting business and cultural change. Uh, my other guest is Alan Tanner. Alan is part of the digital communication team within Global Corporate Affairs at Standard Life Aberdeen, which is a global investment company uh, headquartered in Edinburgh, employing over 6,000 people in 52 locations worldwide. And his role encompasses internal and external digital channels. And he's currently leading the digital workplace program for their business, which includes implementing a new internet. And we'll probably hear a little bit more about that. Um, So just to kind of um start us off nicole um so we're talking about these eight phases of internet content migration i mean and, and i sort of thought about internet content this morning and was thinking so what's the issue with migration isn't that something because we've been talking about it for years isn't it something that's now done by ai or some widget um and if not sort of why not and what, what what's what's the approach in the report Yes, yes. So potentially you could do something like that with, with AI or widgets. I'm sure there's products out there that would help you do that. But but there's a there's a sort of whether that would be um, a good outcome or not, I, I would 
Um, I would think probably not because you really need to look at the content and decide what content you need. And anything that uses AI or currently anything that uses AI or sort of automation would probably just lift and shift all the content over into your new intranet. Now, if your old intranet is working well and you can find everything that you need on it, then maybe that's not a bad solution. But most of the time, people are trying to upgrade their intranet or change their intranet because it's got sort of bloated or old or people can't find the things that they want on the intranet. So that's why people look at a sort of replatforming or, or sort of upgrading uh, the site they had before. So, um, what we've seen through research and for speaking to our members and, and you know, uh, through experience that it's better to have like a phased approach and do it properly. And it means that users can get the best out of their new intranet when it goes live. OK. And, and when you were writing the report, did you start off thinking there are eight phases or did you discover through the research that there were eight phases? I knew that there were phases. I, wa I wasn't really sure how many there would be. And I think that it was quite interesting that it came out to eight and they're quite sort of distinct phases, but you can actually do some of them concurrently. So if you're working on a project like this, you can do a few of them at the same time. So it doesn't seem like it's too much of a sort of onerous job going through all eight. Um, it's just, um, and some of them you might find that you can, um, you might have already done some of that work as part of your scoping or sort of strategy work right at the beginning. Um, but it's just quite interesting to be able to sort of tick those off and, and, um, and, and have a sort of good governed and um, a more efficient process really to follow. Yeah. And um, um, so, so what are the eight phases? So the eight phases. So the first one is the scope, to, to scope the project. Now, we were assuming in the report that you've already looked at the sort of business rationale and the sort of uh, um, business planning really for why you're doing this. And you've already managed to get the, the finance and the sort of sign off from any um, senior leadership to actually go ahead. And you might have even picked a platform because this, this report doesn't go into that. It's sort of um, vendor neutral and it's just uh, just assuming that you've got you've got you've done that already. So it's looking at the scope of what you're actually going to transfer or what you're going to migrate. Because as we said before, you know, it's quite easy to just migrate the whole lot across, but that's not really ideal because you'll have so much stuff on there that's out of date and maybe not required anymore. And it's good to sort of scope that out and find out what's really required. So that's the first phase. But to do that, you need to do phase two so at the same time, which is engagement. So you need to speak to the people that use the internet and also the the people that own the content on the internet. Now, a lot of the time that'll be like big players like HR with all their policies or communications with the news that they might put out on the internet. So looking at those um, the, the usual suspects really that you'd find on most intranets and, and there's a there's a list of those in the report as well so it's engaging those people finding out what they want to transfer across um, finding out what users think of the old intranet and what uh, what their pain was in using the old the old system and how you can use the new platform to um, to mitigate some of that or, and avoid it where possible and then the next phase is looking at analysis so you might have HR saying that they need all their policies to go across or comms to say that they need every news article that's ever been written to transfer across. But you can use analysis and um, statistics to find out if that's really true. So if you find a policy that's never been looked at um, in the history of the old internet, you can go back to HR and say, mm, do you really need this? And you've got some evidence to try and convince them. And you may win all of those battles. You may not, but you've got some sort of um, 
statistics and proper evidence to, to go back to them with. So you do that. So that's analysis and, and looking at the statistics. And we obviously go into that in much more detail in the report, all the different types of analysis that you can use. Phase four is looking at the user needs. So um, what the users actually want to find in the internet or need to find, you know, they might want um, they might want the lunch menu, and most um, intranets have something like that on the, on them, some sort of a nice things to have. But there might not really be a business rationale for including those. So you can decide um, what things users really need to see on their intranet and and what may be nice to have and may, maybe make some decisions on those as you go. So how to do the, there's lots of things written online about finding out user needs and we give some references in the report. Yeah, I was quite surprised because if I sort of think about content as almost like a sort of detached point of view, I think, well, you know, content's content. Why do you need to kind of look at, at sort of user needs? But there's quite a strain of user experience and and user focus in in the report isn't there um i did understand this as i went into the report from the experience that i've had in projects that i've worked on um but i did find it um through research you found that more and more people were using this um way of migrating content and the people that hadn't used it then got tripped up later on so i think it's quite important to bring that out and for people to um take a bit of time over this i think it pays dividends in the long term and um and in a a way it sort of it does make sense because in the past you might have just um migrated everything that you had but now it's a question of like looking at what the user actually needs to find and helping them to do that in the most efficient way possible so they get less frustrated with your intranet that they can find things quicker and then get the answers to their questions um in a much more speedy way you know so so what you need to do is find out who are your users and what they're trying to do on your site and how they currently do it so you know if they're using um well, they might be using chatbots now or helplines or things like that. So you can sometimes take some of the um, uh, pressure of some of these other channels by putting uh, good content on your on your internet. But you can only find that out by speaking to the users. And you can ask them what problems or frustrations they've used, they found on their old internet. So you can answer those queries and then find out what they need from the internet to achieve the things that they want to achieve in their day-to-day work. So there's quite a, there's quite a big emph- emphasis on user needs. And I think users appreciate that. And I think you'll have a much better intranet in the longer term. And you can sort of test these out as well. So that gives you some sort of evidence as you go along as well, finding out how quickly people can now do certain tasks rather okay. than... Um, than you couldn't do in the past and that sometimes gives you some uh, statistics for return on investment and things like that which is quite hard to find in most communications and internet projects okay and um, just um, take us through the the other the final four phases yeah so um so then so the next one's like planning so you have to like map out your new site structure and i know that this is something that i think alan will speak around because i when we um spoke when we were doing this research and i used alan as uh, alan's examples as some um as the case study um a lot of it was to do with the navigation how the navigation would be would be um where the content will go all these sort of things so working out the structure and the architecture of your new site and testing that as well as you go along because you can use you can uh, sort of work out a uh, sort of skeleton structure and test that with users much 
you know, much in advance of when the actual site will go live to, to test it out and see if it works before you can um, can do that. But it does take a bit of time that. And I think that if you if you don't do that, that's another thing that can trip you up later. But it's like it's like um, building the foundations of your site. You know, it might be a, a bit of a pain, but if it's done well, it can, can make your whole intranet stand up much stronger in the longer term. So that's planning. And then the next one is content development. So looking at your content, um, enforcing standards on how that content should be written and how and how it, you know, it should be written clearly using plain English. Have less vanity content where people just post uh, um, or write things about projects that they're doing or what the what different departments are about i mean these are these are things that are maybe quite useful if you're going for a job in that type of department but maybe not you don't really want to sort of um clutter up your whole internet with, with this sort of vanity publishing that is just up there for no real user need and then and there's lots of um tips and tricks in the report as well looking at paired writing getting people a subject matter expert uh, together with somebody that writes really well to actually write good good um content for the web for the website could be helpful and getting a mixture of subject and task-based content that's quite effective as well so so a task-based might be how do i apply for my expenses so just write that piece of ex really explicit task-based content rather than just just about expenses in general really pull out those tasks and the last two so the so um, number seven is really beta testing and launch. So have a sort of soft launch of your site, get users to test it and give you some feedback so you can tweak it and make it make it better over a period of, say, six months. If you can build that into your program, that's really useful. And the last thing is business as usual. Make sure that you've got good standards and governance and a, a team in place to sort of um, grow the intranet sort of organically and keep it keep the standards good and the governance in place so that it has a sort of longer longer lifespan and you keep some of this good practice in place that you've put in through going through the eight steps great and and thank you for for going through the the eight steps so carefully and and thoughtfully nicole so so alan um so is that the eight-step approach you took at Standard Life Aberdeen, or or did or, or, or and how did you approach it? So just perhaps take me through your story. Well, when I spoke to Nicole, we were referring back to an intranet project which actually kicked off a number of years ago now, um, mm. and at that time, the intranet that was in place in the business had um, in excess of eight thousand pages of content and had been very poorly maintained in a content management sense for a number of years prior to that. So what you had was basically a kind of spaghetti junction of navigation elements, a completely ungoverned IA, lots of um, sort of guerrilla publishing going on in the internet. And it, 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 had, be it had become ungovernable um, because it was ungoverned, really. So the initial issue we had was, well, how do you start to determine what content might have value and be brought across? Um, and that's where the analytics were really important, because it's, the, it's really the only thing that gives you evidence of use and value that you can take to a content owner and say, this doesn't have any value. And then what you can do is, I suppose, to Nicole's point about um, setting your stall out for a future intranet. What what type of site are you trying to achieve 
and what content do you need to help achieve that? Um, you know, so different businesses will have different focuses. Um, I know, for instance, that some DWG members are, uh, you know, maybe on things like pharmaceuticals or whatever, will have very technical types of content. Um, and then other um, industries maybe have much more comms focus around it. So you can start to look at the nature of the content. And then we quickly decided that actually what we had to do was come up with some basic principles of what content um, effectively merited to be migrated. And that was things like, has it been used? Has it got an owner? How is it written? Does it have a home? Um, a number of things like that. And very quickly, that allowed us to whittle out a huge amount of redundant content because it became clear that actually content didn't have an owner and actually it no longer had a purpose. And the other thing is that um, there's two things I've seen around content. Um, one is that the internet over time for some people becomes a de facto archive of things. And actually that's not necessarily its purpose. So you can challenge around you know, a lot of very old legacy content that people have just left there because it doesn't have another home. Um, and we found that we could get rid of quite a lot of that. And then the other thing is there's a lot of time-bound content, whether that's communications or news or even documentation, which has a very specific lifespan. And actually, you don't need to bring that stuff over. So it, you put all these things together. It's, as Nicole says, the planning stage is, is really the fundamental, and it is worth investing a lot of time in that. And the other thing I found is that a lot of people are actually very relieved to have someone come to them and say, all this content doesn't need managed because it's going to get deleted. So you're left with actually the core of what you need or what employees need to do their role. Um, so once we'd done that, we'd actually managed to um, literally decimate the content. Um, so we were down to uh, seven or 800 pages. Um, and then it was a case of working with content owners to get them to see whether that content was still in an appropriate state for a move. Um, or whether it needed rewritten. And actually, the stage we were at at that time, a lot of this content hadn't really been looked at properly for a long time. We decided to engage a copywriter um, to work through the content in a structured way and bring it together. Um, and that was a good investment, um, and it got it up to a consistent and good standard for being brought across into the site. And one of the merits of that was that you weren't having to edit when you were publishing. Because one of the, I think, if you like, hidden hidden traps of content migration is a content owner will say, it's fine, it's current. But if you're moving from one platform to another, or maybe you're changing your, your site architecture a little bit, suddenly content doesn't fit together quite as much as you thought it did. And you find yourself having to do a lot of remedial work as a publisher when actually what you thought you were effectively doing was copying and pasting. So there's a lot of preparatory work to do, and that's what we did. And then we basically chucked people out in the migration for a month and just had a massive publishing effort to get it into that skeleton architecture that had been set up. And that got us to a point where we were able to launch the internet with confidence at the time that we had got the right content into the right structure, but Perhaps we'll come on to talk about later about how uh, we discovered that that wasn't actually the case in terms of the structure. OK, um, so well, just to tell me about that now. What, what do you mean? So you, you, you thought you'd done what needed to be done, but but actually then 
it turned out you'd got the wrong kind of navigation or what was the what was the issue what what had happened was because it was actually a, a fundamental shift in terms of um the way content was structured we made some assumptions um we were clear we didn't want it to be um the content to be structured along department lines but what we hadn't really taken into account was that of course people want to move through content in different ways and that they actually form their own associations around different types of content and they use synonyms to describe the same pieces of content and so what we did about six months after the initial launch of the site was we went we did a benchmark survey and said are things better can you find stuff uh, is it easier to find things? And the answer was, well, not really, actually. We're still having trouble finding it. And we thought, something's seriously wrong here. So we went back to basics and basically started with a completely fresh architecture and went through a lot of iterations of testing that. And what transpired from that was that you, the content you may think hangs together thematically often doesn't because people associate it in different ways. And this is where testing becomes so important because often something like a new intranet may be because of business transformation, which means that the content and the structure that you're bringing it across from, it may be a different business than what it was before. And so there may be a different emphasis in the business on certain bits of content. And so you can't make assumptions. That's why it's very important, as Nicole said, to get that content pot come up with a suggested structure, test that structure first, and then put that in place. Because if you make assumptions without having tested it, you'll have to go back and re-engineer it. That was my experience. Mm. And and question for you, Nicole. I mean, and you pick this up at the beginning of the report because you, you, you start off by saying that, you know, a common, a common opinion is that migration of internet content to a new platform is considered a chore. And I'm thinking about this as the sort of, um, you know, the kind of uh, uh, the left behind kind of relation. And, I, I, you know, it strikes me that you put an awful lot of care and attention into it, Alan. Um, but it's hardly the thing that gets people that excited. And was that part, was that a challenge um, while you were trying to engage people in it? Yes, definitely. I mean, if you if you work with a team like HR, they've got a, a distinct interest in providing good quality content to allow employees to self-serve. But there are people who maybe have responsibility for, let's say, I don't know, uh, the employee privacy statement policy or something like that, which occasionally gets a lick of paint, but generally it sits there and it's refreshed on a cycle because it has to be updated every 18 months. The individuals concerned with those sort of areas of content it's a minuscule part of their work. And so when you come along to them and say, here is 20 pages of content which needs reviewed and you're responsible for it, you know, quite often you get a frosty reception for that. So you get the spectrum of engagement from content providers. Um, and actually, I, uh, from the intranet builds I've done, the most labor intensive for the intranet team 
part of the build is the constant engagement and re-engagement with content owners and wider content stakeholders to get them to say that the content that is in place is relevant and is current. Um, and that, um, you know, if they say, well, it's our responsibility to rewrite it, actually getting them to do that is quite challenging. So if I could offer up a small goblet of advice for anyone embarking on this, the earlier you can begin your content insight gathering and review, the better. If you leave it until only two or three months before you're planning to employ you might not get there in time. I think that's definitely true. And there's, there's some ways that you can engage people. I mean, you can you can start looking at your, con- uh, your content a long time before you've even decided what platform you're going to use and things like that, you know, while you're still getting the, the budget in place and things like that because your content's still going to be there. But one of the ways to maybe engage sort of subject these subject matter experts or the people that you're going to have to get to help you rewrite their content or to get you to actually do the work of rewriting the content is to maybe get them into some sessions and look at user needs because in, in my experience I found that that can be quite a, you know if you if you can do that in workshops or sort of focus groups you can see the light bulbs going on as you explain to people you know how how to um, structure their content or think about their content from a user need perspective rather than just let's broadcast all this content out there and if people can find it well then then good on them you know so trying to try and engage people that way and and get them um taking taking a part in the process really rather than just you know asking them to do things is is maybe a bit more of a successful way of doing it and you can you can do things like um you know work working out loud is a is a whole um a way of doing things where you can explain things the rationale of your project and where you are in this project and maybe use your enterprise social network whether that's yammer or or teams or something to sort of explain to people why you're doing this and the approach that you're taking and trying to sort of um broaden out the the interest really in your project and things like that at an early stage so that when you do come to speak to these subject matter experts they sort of have got a bit more of an idea of where you're coming from and and how they can help you i would echo that um it's not something we've done on this particular part of the internet project but concurrently we're working on a replatforming of our plc website and that engagement that you've just described nicole with the content owners on the plc site has worked very well at getting them to understand um, how we can do it better and how content can genuinely work for them and their audiences. So I think that's a a really strong thing to do if you're meeting resistance to uh, people engaging with with this sort of work. Yeah, and and Nicole, I was going to ask you, I mean, what other, if you like, mistakes or assumptions do people make when, when planning out their content migration? Okay, so that was probably the biggest one, thinking that you have to transfer everything, you know, and not engage in the subject matter experts or the or the audiences in how to determine that. I think some of the other things are towards the end of the project. So I think uh, not having sort of a beta, a time where you're in beta um, is maybe a missed opportunity because if you have, if you say to everybody you're going to do a soft launch and you maybe do that six months or so before the end of the project, and you because you might have tested uh, uh, earlier phases, you might have tested your uh, information architecture, your navigation, if you, if you're um, doing things 
uh, well. But when you get to the beta stage, if you if you sort of have a soft launch and say, right, we're now in this stage, we've got all the user base now testing it, please give us your feedback. And if you've still got a little bit of budget in the pot and still got some people that can make changes and tweaks to that, then I think that stands in good stead because you're never going to... Um, you're never going to get as much feedback um, from doing like early tests as you do when you're testing on on your whole population. And then you get some really excellent feedback, which can stand the whole project in good stead going forward, because this intranet might be in place for another five years. So you might as well, you need to sort of um, iron out any, any kinks at that stage if you can. And if you've got a beta, if you're telling everybody it's in beta, if you've got people complaining about something, they don't like something in the navigation, they don't like this piece of content, you can just say, oh, hi, that's fine. It's just in beta. We can just make that change. Mm. And it's much easier to do it at that and, and have that sort of excuse to rely on. It's just beta. We're just testing rather than saying, well, this is the done deal. You're just going to have to put up with it now for the next four or five years. Mm. So I think I think that's that's really good. And the last thing is to have um, a mistake people might make is not to think about business as usual, because once the project comes to an end, quite, you know, even a little bit before the project's um, due to finish, I think you find that senior managers and they, they sort of lose interest, really, because they're really busy people and they've gone on to the next project in their heads. You know, your one's finished. And so that you lose that focus. And I think it's really important um, to have good foundations in place for the longer term. So make sure that you have a longer term strategy in place for how you're going to um, keep the internet up to date, have good governance in place, make sure you've got a team in there that's resourced as well as as, com as well as possible um, to be able to change content and keep content up to date. So, so these, so these things should be in place, you know, as the project goes into business as usual, because if you don't do that and you don't have senior managers agreeing that you can do that, then the project can really unravel quite quickly once you've come to the end of it. Okay. Thank you. And, um, uh, there are obviously quite a lot of what I'd call accelerated internet programs going on at the moment because we're we're recording this in the middle of the uh, lockdown phase of uh, of the virus and and it seems to be very focused around how do we ramp up the technology and so on and I wonder what advice perhaps you've got Alan for organizations what should they be planning relative to content migration while they're sort of fixated on you know, intranet acceleration? I think the main consideration is that um, if people are working in lockdown conditions, then they are not, um, they may not have the full range of uh, equipment or access um, to everything they need. Um, and that's necessarily going to extend your time scales for doing what you want to do. Um, you might have connectivity issues. You might be working across things like uh, different desktops or through, um, you know, virtual desktops. And all of these things can be impediments to efficiently publishing, efficiently moving things around and so on. So certainly the stage we're at at the moment, we're about to enter a publishing phase. And my concern is that while we currently have enough time to achieve what we want to do, we know we're not working to optimum standards and that people are going to have to maybe alter working patterns and things like that. So it just means that the conditions under which the migration is happening are um, exceptional. Um, and that means that you need to temper your expectations about um, 
when you're going to achieve uh, completion and, and, and what you might achieve. And I think that actually also maybe puts a little bit more emphasis on what Nicole says around the trying to build in a bit of slack, call it a beta phase or a pilot phase, um, and you know test out what you've done there if you have the luxury of doing that. So, um, yeah, I think it's just to, to be cautious about being overly ambitious at a time when people are working under very peculiar circumstances. I, I would add something there, Paul, that I've seen quite a lot of like vendors offering emergency intranets. You know, maybe an organization hasn't got an intranet and they're thinking, oh, we should have somewhere where everyone can go to or, you know, there's, there's sort of maybe lots of reasons. But with those, I think the basics are still the same. You know, think about what the user needs. So at the moment, it might just be, you know, a very small intranet looking at news and policies to do with working at home and how to um you know, get things paid for or get equipment at home, things like that. So start off with a small sort of a core of um, of content that's really useful for your for your audience, and then build out from that. And then you know, once once this period finishes, then you can look at um, the sort of the nice to haves around the outside of that core intranet that might be helpful to people. Mm. And and then um, I'm also kind of thinking, and you know, we've touched on it already. Um, I mean, what are the skills needed for successful migration? Um, as I, I think quite often content migration will be think somebody will think, well, we'll put somebody in an admin role into this. It's basically, you know, they're, they're kind of in a way treating it as a more mechanistic task than it is. And I just wonder what are the skill sets or are the particular roles inside an organization or externally that are really needed? And you talked about getting, you know, a professional copywriter. Um, Alan, what's your thoughts around skills and roles? Yeah, I think, I mean, the very fact that we're talking about potentially eight stages identifies that you know there there are multiple skill sets required here so there's your planning and analysis um that's different from a copywriting skill um it's potentially different from um being able to create a web page effectively and, and and publish that so you know we're talking about some fundamentals of um of website and internet publication here which is understanding a user requirement then being able to create content, structure it and serve it in a way that is useful and usable for people. You know, these are the, the really fundamental things about making your site work. So just giving it to someone and saying this is a data entry job, you are not going to achieve what you need. There's always outliers. Um, there's, there's always things like orphaned content. So where do you put that? You need to be able to make a judgment for that. And often that takes a number of years of experience just to be able to judge and say, you know what, it doesn't matter if that sits here because it relates to that, blah, blah, blah. It may require a degree of organisational knowledge that, um, you know, someone in a, in a less senior role who's newer into the business doesn't have. So I think it requires a number of different skills, a number of different people. It may require engaging expertise, whether that's someone like Nicole or someone who's particularly got an interest in information architecture. Um, I think there's a lot to this and getting it right is uh, is actually very difficult. I think one of the skills you need now as well is diplomacy because quite often you might have some, you know, difficult conversations or a bit of conflict because somebody's wanting their the whole 
uh, area of the site going back to 1972 transitioned across and you know it's not required but they're senior and so you have to have those the the sort of um, confidence to have those discussions but as we said before having evidence and analysis helps so that ties into what Alan was saying there as well about having analytical skills and and you know a good suite a good suite of skills you, ha you really have to have like an, a nice little team that's got a real range of skills if you can but quite often we see that it's just you know one or two like an intranet manager and one other person trying to do all this but if they've got the the scope to be able to bring in people as and when required when that can really help too yeah and it strikes me that um um you mentioned diplomacy and i was thinking about patience you need to have patience and persistence and it strikes me that, that you're both i suspect from what, what i know and hear quite patient but persistent people and maybe that's one of the reasons why you you've got kind of expertise in in this particular area um does that does that ring true i don't think this is something you can you can do quickly to give you an example i'm now working on a another internet project within the business and while we have an even smaller uh, pot of content than before and that's because um, people have taken some of the material off into things like SharePoint uh, quite effectively. Um, we nonetheless will have been looking at effectively 10 months from initial engagement with content owners to launching the site. And at every stage of that, you are constantly speaking to people. And I mean, just this week, I've issued final, final reminders about content and all the rest of it. And we've been speaking to these people for you know five or six months now. So it is a long, slow burn. And um, yes, patience is, is definitely necessary. <laughs> and that, that's because people put it at the bottom of their list because it's it's not urgent. And no one sort of, apart from you, you're, no, you're the only one that's asking for it. No one's shouting for it. So it can go, it can go into the bottom of their inbox and they can get away from it for a little bit. So it is that sort of, um, patience but also some sort of tenacity and just keep asking and keep sort of saying why it's important and and at the end of the day you know you're, you're talking about adding in your final reminders sometimes you need to say well your content just won't go onto the new platform unless you sign it off or unless it's written in this way and it's just having the that sort of confidence and the backup of of senior you know your senior sponsors or whatever to to allow you to do that and because that's really important yeah. There's one other thing I was hoping to just chip in there, which is we've we've talked a lot about content pages and published content and how it's written and so on. The other thing is there's often a, a, a large amount of associated collateral with published pages. So often PDF files, things like um, uh, PowerPoint decks or uh, perhaps forms and things like that. And actually, one of the challenges there is if you're moving from one system to another, how are you going to structure and store that ancillary content, which isn't necessarily part of your IA or your web pages, but is obviously very important in the context of, of what you're serving up. So just going back to that point about being starting early and being prepared to do it over a long period of time, if you have a, a large amount of associated documentation to carry over, you've got all kinds of considerations to do with that as well. So don't lose sight of that either. Okay, great. Thank you. And so one of the questions that I uh, like to end 
the uh, podcast on is um, what's a perfect working day for you. So, um, Alan, maybe maybe it's a day when your kids are back at school. Um, but because um, um, I know that uh, uh, there's a lot of people struggling with that at the moment. But so w- what's a perfect working day for you? Oh, gosh. Um, uh, I suppose um, everything works that you try. Everyone gives you a timely response to the questions you ask. Um, Everyone understands why you're asking for it. Um, And then when you switch off your computer at night, you feel you've achieved everything you wanted to achieve. Um, That would probably do me just now. Okay. And um, Nicole, what, what about you? Mine would be a leisurely start and get ready. Then I'd work for a couple of hours, have a break. But in that in that couple of hours, I know I've been productive and achieved a few things. Then I do that two or three, four more times throughout the day and then finish knowing that I've achieved the tasks that I set out to do at the beginning. And I think that's key just now, trying to be specific about what you're trying to achieve. Because as I said earlier, you know, the day just sort of bleeds on really, especially if you're working in the digital field and all the laptops are open 24 hours. So I think that would be quite good being a bit more specific about what you can, what you can do in the hours that you've got. Great. Well, thank you to both of you so much for, um, a very methodical and thoughtful um, kind of synopsis of how to approach intranet content migration. Um, as, as I think what's kind of come across to me is that um, it's it's such a kind of core and fundamental part of any intranet. And, and long after the relaunch has happened and, and so on, the quality of the content is really absolutely key. And I think through that painstaking and methodical approach that you, you both apply and is covered in the report, um, I think that really comes across. So thank you so much, Alan and, and Nicole. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Alan. You're welcome. Thank you. Digital Workplace Impact is produced by the Digital Workplace Group, a strategic partner and boutique consultancy supporting more than 100 leading businesses and public institutions to advance their intranets and broader digital workplaces through benchmarking, research and practitioner expertise. For more information, visit digitalworkplacegroup.com. And if you'd like to listen to previous episodes of the show, go to digitalworkplacegroup.com forward slash DWG underscore score podcast. This is Paul Miller wishing you well until next time.